0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Finnovate Podcast. Joining me today, we have Likit Wagley, the General Manager of Global Banking and Financial Markets at IBM. Likit, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: You're very welcome. So to start, would you mind just giving our audience about 60 seconds on your background and your role at IBM so people have some context?
1: absolutely uh, greg like like you said i have uh, responsibility for ibm's uh, banking business i've been uh, based in uh, manhattan for the last uh, 12 months or so before then i was running our financial services business in the asia pacific region uh banking and financial markets which is you know the capital markets business is by far and away the uh, biggest uh, industry for um ibm uh, we provide the uh, core computing capabilities uh, we provide a lot of software to the industry, and we also provide a lot of consulting and outsourcing services uh, to the industry. Um, you know, just a couple of stats, uh, Greg, to make the point. Uh, you know, 97 of the top uh, 100 banks uh, are major clients of IBM's, and probably even more important, over 90% of the payments that are processed around the world are processed on uh, IBM's uh, software and hardware. So very important for us and clearly very important for the industry too.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, first off, I'll say what a year to have spent in Manhattan. <laughs> that's a fun time to go and move to uh, that, that city. But um, coming, coming back to, you know, I mean, obviously IBM is really involved in so many facets of financial technology. And that's one of the reasons I was really excited to speak with you. And, and I think, you know, let's start at 10,000 feet up. You know, I think it's obvious to all of us in FinTech that the past year we've seen significant changes in the FinTech ecosystem, but it's also difficult for people who are focused on one area to see all the change taking place. Now, with your perspective, seeing so many different sides of this in terms of the companies and the aspects of what they're doing, um, what would you say are the big changes that are taking place? And and what are the driving factors behind them?
1: Uh, So, 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 Greg, I think uh, some of the the things that we have seen have certainly been surprising. I mean, I think if you look at the overall performance of the financial services industry has remained uh, significantly more robust than people were expecting when the pandemic first hit. But I think the two things that I would particularly call out would be one is, you know, this real move to becoming a digital business, you know, with remote working, with branches shutting down and more and more people using online banking. I think that's absolutely become the norm and is going to be the norm uh, going, going forward. I think the second thing is that entire kind of pandemic digital uh, paradigm that we have seen has meant that it's really brought to the fore the fact that the biggest challenge to the incumbent banking industry doesn't really come from the other banks. It comes from the big technology companies. I mean, it's fascinating in the U.S. that, you know, PayPal uh, and companies like Stripe and Square are now bigger than most of the other banks by market capitalization. And one of the reasons that they are, um, you know, growing in importance is not only do they provide a very convenient digital experience, I think they're showing that they're much better off uh, at satisfying the core customer need, uh, you know, supported by financial services. And I think, and I think as banks look at their strategies to in, in the in the future, that's very much what they're going to have to adapt and transform to.
0: Yeah, and no, I, I think you're spot on there. And, and so, you know, one of the phrases that we were kicking around before we actually pushed record is embedded finance. I think that's one that you know, people I assume in the fintech space have seen that start to pop up. I gather that it's not a term that everybody is familiar with, at least. Not yet, but I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about how embedded finance is enabling some of these companies to really grow and um, act as banks, even though they're not technically banks. Um, can you talk a little bit about embedded finance and you know how you you're looking at it from your perspective at IBM?
1: Yes, certainly. um, um greg, and and I think that that is that is the piece that is uh, you know very, very rapidly changing the face of finance. So so embedded finance essentially is, uh, you know, looking at the core need that a customer wants to satisfy and to meet that need with financial services seam- seamlessly built into it. So if I if I was to give you an example, but when somebody is seeking to buy a house, uh, you know, they're not purely looking for the mortgage or the insurance product. They're looking for all sorts of other things like, you know, where should they be living? What should they pay for the house? How are they going to decorate it? And what you're increasingly finding is a number of the, what I'd call, platform companies so these are the big tech companies this has been started off by you know alibaba and and financial in a big way in china but we've then started to see it coming into the u.s with folks particularly like Square and stripe they're offering these platforms that satisfy that end-to-end need you know what i need to do when i want to buy a house what i need to do when i want to go on a holiday everything that i need and then the financial services aspect of it, whether I have to pay for that holiday, whether I've got to buy insurance for that holiday, you know, I can do with one click off of that same platform. I do not need to come off that platform and go to my bank or, you know, use my credit card. It's kind of seamlessly, very conveniently built into the into the platform itself. Now, the the, the real danger from that to the banking industry is not, not just that it it means that they you know, lose the customer or lose a part of the business. Uh, but in very many instances, they're finding that they, they they get disintermediated from the business fully because a customer doesn't really need to come to its bank at all.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting piece here, well, many interesting pieces, but one of the crucial ones is really looking at that customer experience and what customers are trying to do. And you know I've heard a lot of different fintech founders come on the show and talk about how they view you know the customer as the most important person in the transaction always. And I think this is one of the hallmarks of successful fintech companies is they're able to really look at, and anticipate what customers want, they're able to give it to them in a way that's seamless, that's intuitive. And so you know, keeping the customer at the heart of the transaction, I think is, is obviously a great place to start. And also it does put a lot of pressure on the quote unquote t- traditional finance industry to be able to deliver that same type of customer experience when obviously uh, they're not necessarily set up to be able to do that the way a more agile, younger tech company would be able to. Um, you know, another piece that we mentioned before we got on the line here, which I thought was really interesting, you were talking about how there are some parallels with where fintech is now, with kind of where the pharmaceutical industry was, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, I thought that was just fascinating. Can you unpack that and dive into that a little bit more for our readers or listeners? I should. Oh, say?
1: absolutely, um, absolutely, um, uh, Greg. And and you know, the analogy there was, I think, if we go back 25, 30 years, um, and you look at the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, you know, a number of the bigger players made the decision that, you know, they were going to collaborate with biotechnology companies and with uh, the universities, because they were finding that the better compounds were actually coming from those companies as opposed to their own R&D. And on the other hand, what they also realized is that what those biotechnology companies were looking for was distribution, which would enable... Uh, them to take those great compounds and convert them into blockbuster blockbuster uh, drugs, right? So the, the likes of uh, Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline really focused on creating world-class uh, sales and distribution organizations, you know, organizations that, you know, paralleled, um, you know, even some of the best consumer products companies in the world like Procter & Gamble. I mean, you just look at the recent example, right? With the vaccines, Pfizer has collaborated with BioNTech uh, for the production of that particular vaccine. Now, I think when you when you when you take that and you draw the parallel with the banking industry, what we're finding is, uh, you know, pretty much every single bank is now looking at the fintech as their engine for innovation. They want to create a similar arrangement where they've got this collaborative model. They're creating platforms with APIs and microservices, which enable them to onboard. The fintechs that are going to augment and enhance the experience, uh, the service that they want to offer to that to to that particular customers, uh, so that it 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 um, you know replicates what's happened in the pharmaceutical industry previously.
0: Yeah, again, really interesting parallel there. Um, I would never have put that together myself, but it's really easy to see when you talk about it. And and I think one of the interesting things here, you know, the idea that um, you know banks obviously sometimes struggle when it comes to creating new innovations. They sort of there's an understanding maybe that the fintech ecosystem, the startup ecosystem, is better suited when it comes to that style. But at the same time, there's such an advantage that traditional financial institutions have when it comes to getting the word out and being able to take a piece. Of technology and amplify it if a major bank gets behind a fintech and actually puts kind of the marketing muscle behind that new technology it's really impressive to see how quickly the adoption rises so i think you're right there's kind of a you know both sides needing each other here but fascinating to think about how new innovations come to the market and and how that will how they will continue to come to the market so at, from ibm's standpoint what are you guys doing to, to try and support this? What do you see as your role here um, in this ecosystem?
1: So I think a couple of things, Greg, right? I mean, I think going back to the point that you were making around, you know, the banks being, um, you know, really interested in collaborating with these fintechs, you know, from a fintech point of view, the advantages in, you know, having a major bank, uh, you know, putting, putting the word out. The issue, though, is that, uh, you know, banks do exist very much in a regulatory uh, environment with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just general regulations as well as data privacy requirements. And, and that does make it very difficult for fintechs to be onboarded into a bank. And, and particularly when the fintechs are relatively small and they're strapped for resources, you know, they're not really in a position to be able to do what it's going to take uh, in, in, in order to be uh, collaborative in the kind of way that we're talking about. So one of the key things that we have done, and in fact, this was something that we did with, in collaboration with Bank of America initially, is we've developed a secure uh, public cloud. This is the IBM cloud for financial services. It's very much a part of what we're saying is going to be the strategy of the future for the banks, right? which is where they're going to move from the current platforms that support their business to a hybrid cloud platform. But the reason why I think, Greg, this is really important is that this particular cloud has built into it already all of the controls that are required to satisfy both the bank's policies. In this case, you know, as I say, we worked with Bank of America to do that, but also the regulators' policies. And we've also got an onboarding process for both ISVs as well as fintechs that has now been reduced to a very small number of almost kind of days as opposed to the months uh, that it used to take in the past. So what that actually means is, means is that when a fintech is certified on this particular cloud then it is going to be possible for that fintech not only to provide its capabilities on a software as a service basis to that bank that's using the IBM cloud for financial services but it could actually provide that to every single a bank in the jurisdiction without having to go, you know, without having to go through that certification process again, right? So you've just got to do it once, and then it's available to every bank in in the country. So you can just kind of imagine the multiplier effect that becomes available to uh, that particular fintech. The other aspect of it also is that you know we are going to ensure continuous compliance, right? So again, if there are changes in regulations or there are changes in the bank's uh, policies. This isn't something where the fintech has to go through a very expensive exercise of making sure it's continuing to comply, right? That is built into the cloud itself. So that's one way in which um, I think we're really going to be able to assist the fintechs uh to, to take advantage of that distribution to the large banks that 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 I was describing. I think the I think the other area that I would also mention is a lot of the fintechs that we're seeing, you know, operating in the banking industry are not, not purely in the space around um, you know, external customer-facing fintechs. We're, we're seeing a number of them in the process space as well, right? So one of the things that's happening in the banks at the moment is a lot of automation, uh, process efficiency, a lot of fintechs playing in that space. And that is where, you know, IBM's offerings around artificial intelligence, particularly our kind of Watson suite, is truly augmenting and enhancing what that fintech can do uh, so that it offers a capability to the bank uh, that makes a very substantial difference to their bottom line and gets to you know time to value very rapidly as well. So those are just two examples, Greg.
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And as I said, you have such a fascinating view of the ecosystem because of the work that you do on all sides and just the sheer volume of companies and transactions and um, things of that nature that you have visibility to. Um, I'm afraid we are out of time for, for now, but this has been a really fascinating conversation. And I look forward to continuing to learn more um, about you know embedded finance and, and about how the way innovations will come into the marketplace. I think you've had some good predictions there. We'll see what 2021 brings, hopefully a more calm year in some ways, but also hopefully we are able to kick on from a lot of the impetus to innovate and push people towards digital finance. I think, you know, 2020 saw a lot of momentum in that direction, and it would be a shame if that, didn't continue um, in a slightly more sane way, I suppose you could say. Um, In any event, uh, Lickett, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. I look forward to having you back on at some point in the not too distant future. I hope to continue the conversation.
1: Thank you, Greg. Thanks very much for having me. It was a delight talking to you. Cheers.
0: Thanks very much.